Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, so fired up about today's episode, but before we begin, a guy named Multitool reached out to me and he thanked me so much for the episode we did with Todd Stottlemyre. His father had passed away a while ago and it was a long journey for him and cancer ultimately took his dad. And he said that really hardened his heart and he's had trouble getting past that. And it's created kind of a block between him and God. And he's on his journey. He's trying to work his way through that. And he felt like uh, the Todd Stottlemyre episode really is helping him move past that. And today I'm excited because we've got Alan Arnold with us. And as I was reading his book and hearing the comments from a guy nicknamed Multitool, I'm like, man, I think today's podcast is going to also take that further. Uh, We're here today with the author of a book called Chaos Can't. And that was introduced into Multitool's life when his father passed away, that just chaos of that. So hopefully we can talk about that. We will talk about that here in a bit. But let me let me introduce Alan. So Alan's a father. He's a son. He's been a book publisher with Thomas Nelson. It's a huge publishing company. And he's been with him for 20 years. He's also been attached with John Eldridge, I believe, for also 20 years. Uh, Wild at Heart Ministries. And just a fantastic guy. I've had a chance to read his book and listen to a lot of podcasts and things he's been on. And this is the first meeting that we've had. He was introduced by a fantastic guy, a guy named Dan Zayner. Dan is the host of the Anthem of the Adventurer podcast. So he really likes getting after things and just has a a heart for Christ also. So it's really fantastic being introduced to great people by great people. Relationships are so important and change us as as men and as people. So be careful of the relationships you keep. And with that, Alan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks, Dan. I am so excited to be on with you. And um, I love the topic of your podcast and the the message that you have out for men, but but really for those who just want to make the most of their life and their family. And and I'm excited to to tell some stories and, and talk with you today. I love that you love the power of story because that one is just near and dear to me. Stories and questions. Yes. Questions. I mean, we live in a culture that wants quick answers, right? Like everybody wants to do the Google search and just come up with the right answer. And it's the questions that really cause us, I think, to go and grow deeper. And, you know, back in, if you look at like how the Jewish culture would teach each other and, and the sages and, and uh, the, the people of that time, the prophets of like Jesus time, they taught mostly through questions. And it's interesting, like you go into the rabbis and, and how they taught. And it was oftentimes they would ask a really powerful question. And the student's job wasn't to give a quick answer. It was to live the question and their life would be transformed by it. So as a culture, we've kind of lost that, but I think story is the doorway into that because a great story makes you question 
who you are, what life means. And a really good story causes you to enter one way and come out a different person on the last page. Absolutely. It's so great when you get just wrapped up in a story and forget what time you're in and where you're at. You're just, you're just in it. Oh yeah, I agree. And that was a joy for me. Like when I was a publisher at Thomas Nelson, I started a fiction division and over the course of a decade with those authors, we published over 500 novels of all kinds, you know, suspense, young adult, sci-fi fantasy, romance, uh, just, you know, every possible genre you can imagine, but, but they all had the DNA of a story that was meant to transform people as they entered into it and to see the world differently, to see themselves differently, to see God differently. And, um, I believe, you know, story is the shortcut to the heart. And so a lot of people talk about the parables Jesus told and what a great storyteller he was. And really that was, Jesus was a great storyteller, but, but more than that, Jesus invited people to see with new eyes and to open their ears and hear differently and, and to understand the world differently. And he did that oftentimes through parables, but he really did that through inviting people to come with him, to follow him and see life differently. And uh, when they did their story changed radically. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When I hear, when I hear Jesus's voice say, come follow me, like, oh man, yes, 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 yes. Well, and and yeah. And what's great about those two words, follow me that I love is he doesn't say or tell them everything that's going to happen. Right. So these are people in the middle. I mean, we're so familiar with that, those words and kind of that, that moment, I think we lose what it cost those people and and the the risk they took because they're in the middle of their normal daily life. Jesus says, follow me. They're on a boat. They're, you know, fishermen and they drop their nets. And and Jesus doesn't say, here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. You know, first we're going to go, go here. First, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. Uh, In a year, you're going to be doing this. He doesn't give all that detail, really any detail up front. And so the mystery and the wonder of, I think, being a son or daughter of God, which we all are as men and women, we're still sons and daughters of the father. Like the mystery and the awe of that journey is beautiful because he invites us a step at a time to go with him. And man, we want all the answers up front. You know, we're like, well, I mean, a very practical example, while I was the publisher that I just was telling you about that, that stage in my life, I had a call from John Eldridge, who's the author of Wild at Heart. And uh, that book had really been transformational for me as a man and as a father. But he called one day and I'd been to some of his events and he said, hey, Alan, I'd like you to join us in Colorado. I was in Nashville at the time. And I was in, you know, kind of awe that he would call and ask me to do that. But, but I said, John, I, I appreciate it. I'm just really good where I'm at right now. I love what I'm doing with story and um, I'm comfortable. It's a, it's a great position. I'm, I've achieved a lot here. And so thank you, but no, thank you. And it was, it was one of those moments I'll never forget because John said, Hey, Alan, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I, I hear you. But before you hang up, I just had to tell you this. God has already told us that you are coming 
to Colorado that you are going to join the team. And so why don't you ask God about it and then get back to me? <laughs> and it was, it was the most, uh, you know, disruptive moment in a good way for me because what it exposed in me was, oh, wow, I have not even asked God about this. I just assumed when I was good in a, in a position that I was comfortable in and doing well in that I wanted to keep things status quo. And I didn't ask God. And so I hung up and for the next 24, 48 hours, I did. I asked God and my wife, Kelly, asked God. We prayed, we listened, and we were like, absolutely, God is inviting us to do this. And, and so that started that journey, but, but it was a journey of unknown. It was a journey of risk. I knew that God had invited us there, but it was about half the salary. Uh, and, and it was a good salary. I was just getting paid a really good salary. Right. Where I was. And so it was about half the salary. Uh, it was a team. The whole team at Wild at Heart was about 12 people at the time. And I had a team I oversaw that was larger than that in a company uh, corporation that had over, you know, four or 500 people. And so it was a real shift. And I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was God was inviting me there and my family there. And I had a choice to either say yes or no. And, and just real quick, uh, it's kind of a neat side to that story. While I was praying, the way God said yes, and he's so creative, you know, God will speak to us in any number of ways, right? Like through scripture, through a friend, through uh, all kinds of ways. Well, for me, I was praying. And while my eyes were closed, he gave me this, this dream or this image that just kind of flashed across uh, while I was had my head bowed. And I was standing next to a corral and there were three horses in it. And on the backside of this corral was a, a rancher, an older rancher, cowboy hat, boots. And so we're on either side of this corral and I'm looking across at the rancher and there's three horses in the middle of the small crowd. And the rancher just looks at me, smiles, and he says, do you want to ride? And <laughs> I looked at my wife and I looked back at the rancher. And it was this beautiful question into adventure. It was basically a follow me question. And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, the crowd's open, the gate's open. And so my wife and I got in, in this, in this vision, we walked in, we got on a horse and then he got on the third horse, which the rancher obviously was, you know, uh, representative of God. And he got on the third horse and then we rode out together into the great unknown, into the wild. And all of that probably took about 10 seconds, you know, like as, as it just flashed before my eyes. And when I looked up, opened my eyes, I was like, yes, I'm in. And the beautiful thing is God wasn't saying, you know, if you don't do this, I'm mad at you or you're going to blow it or, you know, uh, you know, like shaking a, a finger at me saying, do what I say. It was a very kind father image saying, I'm inviting you, son, into adventure. You don't have to go, but I'm not going to tell you up front all the things, how they're going to work out. So do you want to ride? If you do, let's do it together. 
And that, Dan, started my journey with that follow me type, you know, um, invitation that Jesus loves to give, as you say, that started us on a journey that has now been underway for 10 years. And I would have told you back then in that moment, if you had, if we were talking eight, nine years ago, I would have said, yeah, the, the invitation was to wild at heart and to trust God. And it was, but on a much deeper level, the invitation was a journey into sonship. And, and I did not really fully know what it meant to live life as a son of God. I'm in my mid forties at the time. And I had no idea, even though I had been a lover of God, a follower of, of Jesus from boyhood, I had no idea what it meant to live life as a man, as a son of God. And that really has been what his invitation was. But see, if I, he didn't tell me that up front. He didn't say, he didn't say, Alan, your journey is going to be a journey into sonship. He just said, do you want to ride? And either had to say yes or no. And those, those fishermen, before they were disciples, right? Jesus said, follow me. They could have easily said, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good doing what I'm doing. And, and they would have not known the life they would have had. We wouldn't be talking about them today in this podcast. So the invitation to follow into the unknown, into what's not yet, but will be as you enter. It's like a story. You, the character doesn't know what's going to happen in the next chapter until the next chapter plays out. And at the beginning of the book, I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey, but yes. it's this, you know, model of how to, how to tell story, how stories, movies flow. And they always begin like the first step or stage of a hero's journey is entering into the unknown. And if they don't, whether you're Luke Skywalker or whether, you know, it's the, the four children in the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, if they don't go through the wardrobe door, if, if, if people don't enter in to the unknown, then they stay stuck in the status quo. And God rarely does his best work in the status quo. There always is that stepping out and, you know, we, we either do or we don't, but if we don't and we find our life feels pretty stuck, it's oftentimes because we're staying right where we are trying to be comfortable more than going, I'm ready, God, whatever that next step is, you don't have to give me all the detail. You don't have to promise me. I may make less money if I do it. I may be less popular. I may lose, you know, my best friend uh, being next door to me. If I move across the country, I may not have a church that I like as much as I did where I was. All of those things are true. When God invites us somewhere, he doesn't promise an upgrade to every part of our life. He simply promises, come with me and I'll show you great and mighty things and we'll do it together. Do you want to follow me? Do you want to go? And that's our choice. But the adventure begins with stepping into the unknown. Mm. So all kinds of things there to, to pick apart. Uh, the adventure into the unknown. I, I, there's a couple in my own life. Guy says to me, we're in a meeting and 
he's got a kind of a following and he says, Hey, what are you going to do? And I said, I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to start a podcast. <laughs> I'll be a guest on a podcast. And he's like, all right, cool. A little while later, I go to a retreat and this is in the intro. And I'm like, Hey God, we're, we're about to enter into kind of a one-on-one and I want to talk to you. And I don't really have any baggage to bring with me. Like life's pretty good. Everything around me pretty good. I'll just, I can praise you, honor you. Thank you. However, it just occurred to me that I probably should ask if you want to talk about anything. He goes, yeah, I do. I want to talk about your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Threw down my pen. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So that was kind of that. That's awesome. Come follow me moment in my life. And that's how this got started. So Mm. yeah, when I, when I hear that in yours, John says, Hey God, God told me you're coming. No, 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 he didn't. You know, what's, what's wild about when I tell people that story, Dan, uh, over the years, the reaction of the people who are hearing it, it's so interesting to me because some will have the reaction you and I are, have, you know, in the way we're talking about, yeah. it now. but others who it, it, they don't like, they don't like, um, when like they're pushed out of their comfort zone. So they'll hear that. And I'll have comments like, uh, wow, that was kind of arrogant of John, or that was, that seems manipulative, you know, or um, God wouldn't take you from what you love to do, love doing, or what do you, what do you mean? Ask God, God doesn't talk to us. How do you like, what does that even mean when John said, why don't you ask God? Because God doesn't talk to us. You can't find a verse in scripture that says, yes, go or don't go to Colorado for this job. So like it, it, it provokes. I don't, I don't remember all. Colorado ever mentioned in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they do talk about mountains, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure they're the Colorado mountains, but but you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because story, once again, it all comes back to story. Like when people hear a story, they put themselves in the story, and it exposes. Well, do you believe you could hear God if if you were to ask God a question like that? Do you trust God? If, if, if that were true, if, you know, like, like forget if you're having trouble wondering if another man could hear God and it would say that in a pure motive, which is what John did. He, he just conveyed what he heard from God and he was totally spot on and, and did it from the best of intentions. But if you don't even, you know, trust another person to hear for you and to say that, well, just ask yourself, but if somebody did, and it was a hundred percent accurate would you do it? Would you move across the country because God invited you to do that? And I, so, I don't know that answer. <laughs> yeah, it's. And I, we I, I would some, wrestle with that for a bit. Well, we had some really good friends uh, st- who are still good friends who lived around us, and we were part of their community at that time. And it was very disruptive to to those friends. In fact. When my wife and I, we went to a dinner with about three other couples who were in our life group, very close. Uh, We all had kids about the same age, young children. And when we told them at the dinner, it was a steakhouse. And so we kind of had this quiet area and and about midway through the dinner, we said, hey, we've got some news. We want to tell you guys we're, we're moving across the country. Here's what God has said and here's here's why we're doing it and i mean the, the response was not what we had imagined the response every it felt like 
everybody dropped their fork and like you could hear it clink on the, the plate, but kind of silence, stunned silence. And there wasn't congratulations. There wasn't uh, wow, God, what is he doing in your life? This is, tell us about this. It was almost, it was almost a sense of disappointment. And I think looking back fear because the fear was, oh my gosh, if this is real and God can call them across the country and I really like my life the way it is, what if God disrupts my life? And so the, the, the emotion around the table felt like just change the subject. Let's move on because we don't want to talk too much about this in case God starts telling us we need to move somewhere. And so one of the things that I think is men and as leaders and as fathers, you know, in our household and in our community, we have to ask ourselves first, are we willing to follow where God leads, even when it's risky, even when it's costly, or are we trying to do everything possible to protect and to kind of hold on to the status quo. Because when we start doing that, we, we, we may think it's a good thing. Like, wow, I really love how my life is at this time. Or I really want this to, to not change. And so we start hunkering down and we start, you know, playing it safe. And the problem is mm. we don't have that control anyway. So we can't keep things the same. Life does not stay the same. And we either engage and risk and go with God. And, and that makes the best story of all. And our kids, you know, as if, we're, if you're a father listening, like your kids need you as their dad living the best story that you can so they can believe they can do it. And if they see a dad who is checked out, or a workaholic uh, because he's fearful that he's going to lose his job uh, or, or believes his identity is wrapped up in performance or knows how to be a worker better than he knows how to be a dad. So he, he goes where he gets the kudos and, and the praise. You know, there's all kinds of reasons uh, why a man can start living a smaller story. And you can be the, a CEO of a big company and still be living a very small story. So it's not a matter of how much is in your bank account, or it's not a matter of how many people report to you or what you what you have done professionally. Living a larger story is how much you're willing to risk and trust and pursue God above all. And that's the best legacy you can leave for your family. And it's the best story you can live for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that those are definitely the wrong things to to pay attention to on the scoreboard for sure. And I know I was definitely guilty of all those things at the beginning for sure. So my my kids the other day says, Hey dad, did you know that God doesn't have any grandkids? <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know that. <laughs> and she says, Because we're all a child of God. And therefore we're all brothers and sisters. So I'm your sister, dad. <laughs> <laughs> a I, lot of man. That's a lot of wisdom. How old, how old is she? This, this one's eight. 
Yeah. Eight-year-old daughter. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And you you referred to your journey of becoming a son of God and not fully knowing that relationship. And you've been on that for a while. Can you tell us about that journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so I was a very driven man. I mean, extremely driven. I'm a big guy. I'm six, four, have a deep voice. I, I, and, and I was a hard charging, make it happen guy. So basically right out of college, I started believing if this is, if this is going to happen, meaning if I'm going to be successful, then I have to outwork everybody. I have to start earlier, finish later, do more. And about that time I was eating at a Chinese restaurant, got a fortune, you know, the fortune cookie comes out, the fortune inside says the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. Well, Dan, I taped that saying onto my desk and I started living like, it's never a good idea to have your life theme come from a fortune cookie instead of from scripture or God. But, but at that time, man, I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm the guy that will make it happen. And if people, you know, don't believe that they need to get out of the way. And I became very successful, but very driven, hyper-driven. I tell a story in my first book uh, called the story of with W I T H. It's about how to, you know, do life with God instead of just doing it in our own strength. And this was before this event happened before 9-11, thankfully, but I was at an airport, had a video crew. We were going to film a video of an author. I was in publishing and I got distracted on a phone call. It's a small commuter plane. They load it and the crew gets on the plane. They don't know where they're going. I mean, they, they're just there with me. So I was going to get the rental car when we landed and they don't really know the address or where they're going. I look up, the plane's loaded. I run over to the gate and they say, sorry, you know, we've, we've given your seat away. You weren't here. And I can see the plane out the plate glass window, but the door to board had been closed. And so I try to, you know, abrasively push, you know, say, no, I'm getting on. No, you're not. You're, you're not on your, fl- your seat's given, flight's going. And that person leaves the gate. So it's just me standing by myself at the gate. Well, I was such a driven man at that time. I just look around. Nobody's there. I open the door. I go down onto the runway. I have a briefcase in my hand. (laughs) And this way, I have my little leather briefcase with all my stuff in it. And I just stand in front of the plane. Now, now, honestly, as I'm telling this, it's a miracle I didn't get shot, you know, or arrested are tackled or something. Um, But what happened was about three minutes later, the pilot gets off out of the plane. He comes over and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here's my ticket. I need on the plane. And he's like, the the flight's full, like every seat's taken. And you're, what are you doing on the runway? And I had this conversation with him. Long story short, I talked my way onto the plane They kick off the guy they had put in my seat. No way. And 30 minutes, you know, later we're in the air on the way to this video shoot. And everybody 
except probably everybody besides the video crew who was glad I was on was like, this guy is such, who is this jerk? Who is this uh, egotistical, you know, like guy that's delaying our flight and that's demanding, like standing in front of a plane. But that was me at that. And at that time I was just like, yep, I'm right. I'm, I'm the guy that makes it happen. And my bosses, you know, love that because, Hey, you got a big project, give it to Alan. He'll, he'll make it happen. But the problem was I was a bull in a China shop. I uh, did not have a lot of people who enjoyed working with me. They enjoyed the results, but not me. And I finally had a boss, thankfully, who was, took the risk. Who This was a risky thing, but he asked me to lunch and we went to lunch. And I thought, honestly, he was going to give me a promotion or, <laughs> or, you know, like, because we had great results on paper. And um, he said, Alan, I just want to ask you a question. Do you know everybody that works for you? And I had about, I don't know, at that time, maybe 16 people, 17 people. Everybody that works for you thinks you are a complete jerk. Now, he didn't say the word jerk, but I'm going to keep it PG for our show. Oh, wow. So he used much more colorful language than that. But uh, he said they, they, they can't stand being around you. They don't like your presence, but they do like your results. And that, he goes, I just didn't know if you knew that. And my first thought, Dan, was I can remember that moment in this deli. And my first thought was I'm going to fire every single one of them and get 17 new people who will not be such babies and so complaining. And I can't believe they've, they have said this about me, but I'll just get rid of them all and, and start over because I can rebuild it from the ground up and make it better. And, and I, thankfully I did not say that, but it was like a basketball to the gut, you know, like all the wind was knocked out of me. And thankfully I just kind of took it in and I remember leaving that restaurant with this question of what kind of man am I becoming if, if this is true? Like, what kind of man am I, you know, I'm a highly successful guy, young guy. I was at the time probably uh, in my maybe early 30s, very successful, an executive VP. And I found myself going, though, if I were to die tomorrow, like what kind of legacy would I be leaving if everybody was like, yeah, he's a complete jerk, but he did a lot. He, he got a lot done and was a complete jerk. So that started one internal process that started a process more external than internal, actually, of I want to be a good king. I want to be a good boss. I want to be the kindest and the best boss for my employees. I don't like who I've become with them. And so I started that journey, but here's the problem. It was mostly external because I now over the next few years became the most popular boss. I would be the one to work overtime. I would let them go home. I would communicate well. I was kind I was aware of what I had been and, and, and was the opposite of that. Now I was still driven though. And the problem was I hadn't changed my heart. I had just changed my external reaction. So 
I was wearing myself out. I was still a believer that if it was going to happen, it was up to me. I still live like an orphan. I just was now a king that was kind to his, you know, people, but lived a really hard internal life on myself, always trying to do more, make more happen. Because I thought the more you do, the better, the more you are. And so I lived like a, a driven orphan. And it took the trip, the adventure, the journey to Colorado to disrupt my world enough to where God said, now will you raise the white flag? Will you surrender this belief that it's all up to you, that you're only as good as what you do? So the more you want to be, the more you have to do. Will you surrender that? And will you start understanding what it means to live as a son? And I could have quoted you scripture on sonship, being a son, God being a father. But the reality was I was not living at all like that. And so that started my journey as a son. And it has changed how, you know, like you want to be a better husband, learn to be a better son. Want to be a better father, learn to be a better son. It starts so much of everything starts with us learning how to be a son or a daughter, if you're a woman of God and, and truly living in that way. And I had never done that. And I, again, I was in my mid forties at that time and I had spent a, a life being highly driven, make it happen. Uh, never, never take time off, never quit trying to make something happen. And I was very productive and very miserable internally. And the life of a son is so freeing. And it, it's, been, it's been a big journey the last decade. So now I enter into each day expectant. Now I wake up saying, okay, Father, Abba, what, do, what are we going to do today? What do you have for me today? And, and I, I've quit trying to control people and life and circumstances, which we can't really anyway, but I've quit trying to control it. And I've really entered into each day, like a new story kind of with I, my, at least that's my goal is to wake up every day with wide eyed wonder and go, God, what are you inviting me into today? I know we're going to do it together. What do you want to show me? And then I try to go to bed each night asking God, what is your interpretation of my day? Because, you know, Dan, a lot of times you or I may go through a day and go, man, this, this day stunk. This day was terrible. This day just couldn't have gone worse. But if we'll pause and ask God his interpretation and listen to and be able to hear him say, actually, son, I showed you how to go through hard times today. Actually, I was helping you grow in faith. Actually, if we will wake up expectant and go to bed, head on the pillow at night, asking God for his interpretation, it starts to change everything because we have to humble ourselves, right? Like we have to let go of control. We have to let go of our way, our to-do list. And we have to go, God, if nothing on my to-do list happens, but you're with me and you have this for me today, that's the very thing I want to do. It's the follow me concept again. It's the, I can't follow God. You can't follow God. 
if we have our head in our iPhone or in our to-do list and we're measuring the success of a day by what we check off the list or who's texting us or if the big deal goes through or doesn't go through, we'll never experience true success because true success really boils down to, are you doing life actively and intimately with God? If you are, your success, you're having success, that's the best success, a life with God. If you're not, all the things on your to-do list are going to just go to dust one day. It's not going to matter. It's not going to, nobody's going to talk about the to-do list when you're gone. Mm. You know, they're going to, they're going to ask whether you're a man of God, what, you know, did my dad, did my husband, did my friend, did my boss walk well with God? And that's not measured on a to-do list. Mm-mm-mm. So the other day, I think I've shared this on the podcast already, but you keep bringing up do life with God, plan with God. And I was going into a chapel and I looked down at my stuff, my phone, my planner, my physical planner. And I'm like, I'm leaving all this here. I just want to spend time with God. And God says, no, no, take the planner. Take the planner. No, 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 I'm not doing that, God. Just want to be with you. Walk up to the door and it's got the mask sign on it. You know, wear, wear the mask, wear the mask. I'm like, I don't want to wear the mask. Fine, I'll wear the mask just in case there's somebody for some reason. I don't want to scare them or, or, you know, put them in a spot where they're uncomfortable. So I go back to get the mask and I'm looking at that dang planner. I'm like, fine, I get your point. It wasn't about wearing the mask. It was about getting the planner. God, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll obey. I'll be obedient. I don't want to, but okay. Go in, spend a few minutes and people leave. Noises happen. Like it's apparent that the scene is over. I go, okay, God, story's over. What was that for? Why did I show up? Because I just wanted you to bring your plans in so that we could do this together. I want to work your plans with you. Mm. I said, got it. So just a couple minutes and I can leave. Like, it's like, yeah, go, let's, let's go execute the plans. Let's work on them together. I'm like, you got it, God. Sounds great. But like yes. <laughs> hearing you yeah. talk about that, I'm like, that's exactly what just happened. Yes. And part of, you know, when you talk about your planner, like, I think one, that's a phenomenal story. And, and it's a cool thing that God interacted with. He was fathering you in a very unique way. And two, when we carry a journal with us and I have a leather journal, I bring it everywhere I go. It's not a super fan. I mean, it's leather, but it's not super fancy, but The reason I do that is because I believe and I'm expectant that God can speak at any moment Yes, and and give me an idea or through a conversation with you, you know, if you and I are at a basketball game or if we're having coffee, you're going to say something that I don't want to lose. And so I think this practice of carrying and and I like the physicality of a journal you know, right there. <laughs> yeah. And, and the physicality of a literal journal, not, not your phone, not a digital typing in, but like, here's one of my journals. And uh, this is a fancier one. I have it on my desk, but I have another one I carry with me, like just when I'm going in my truck, wherever. And I found when you are one of the best tips on hearing the voice of God is being ready to hear it, being expectant. So carrying the journal is a sign. I believe 
I can hear God. I believe God wants to father me and speak to me. And so I'm ready. I'm ready. And it can come through any number of ways. A, a small voice in my heart from the Holy Spirit. It can come from a fellow, you know, friend, a pastor. It can come from scripture. It can come from a song on the radio. God can use anything. He's the creator of everything. Everything is at God's disposal to talk to us. So we can't put restrictions on how God speaks. God will never contradict himself. If we hear something that's counter to who God is, that's not God's voice. But God can speak in any number of ways through nature, through a movie, um, through a movie of somebody who's not even a Christian, you know, um, through some through a person who doesn't even know God. He can use them. He used a donkey in the Old Testament to speak. Yes. Like he'll speak it. But the question is, are we going to be open and listening or will he speak and we don't hear? Will he speak and we not notice? Will he speak and will we forget? And so a journal is a kind of a defiant process, an old school physical journal and a pen. There's something to a, a tactile, tangible nature of how we go through life. And so to have that with us and go, God, whatever you want to say, however you want to speak, however you want to encourage me, however you want to open my eyes to something, I'm always ready. I'm always ready. Wherever I'm at, that's a, that's a cool thing. Your story reminded me of the power of just our schedule, our plans, and to have blank pieces of paper around us at all times to go, oh, I got to write that down. That's yeah, this is big. This is interesting. Or this is a question that God's asking. He's not giving me an answer. He's giving me a question. And now I get to pursue that question with him. So recently somebody had me write down a list of top questions that guys ask me. And I kept thinking, and I kept thinking more from my, my questions that I asked them. I'm like, their questions are different than my questions. Their questions usually come from a, why me? I don't have fear-based and I know you speak into coming from a place of love. God is love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oftentimes people don't love their self. And when the lens comes from love, the questions are different. The thought process is different. Right. Right. The, the book that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Chaos Can't, the reason I wrote that is because I believe God wants us to go through life chaos-free. We live in a world of chaos. You know, Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. You could substitute the word chaos. In this world, you will have chaos. But I'm telling you this, he says, so you'll have peace. And you think, that's not a very peace-inducing thing to tell me. Like, it's like telling somebody, you're about to go into a crazy-making place of chaos. And I'm telling you that just to give you peace. You'd be like, dude, you're not giving me peace. You're, you're actually stirring me up. But his next sentence is, because I have overcome the world. And so I say in the book, that's like being on a ship with a captain who says, yeah, in the sea are icebergs that could sink the ship, but have peace because I have overcome the entire sea. Well, that's the kind of captain you'd go anywhere with. And so in the book, I go into how can we live in a world of chaos and yet be chaos free. And a big part of that is the, whether we live in a fear-based or a love-based mindset, 
and every decision, Dan, it amazes me, but I, I would dare any listener to try to prove this wrong because it's a, in a fun way. Um, I'm not, I'm not making a bet with the listener, but I'm saying in a fun way, I dare you go through a day and, and look at every decision you make and ask yourself, am I making this decision out of love or fear? If I'm making a decision for my kids, is it a love? Am I disciplining out of love or out of fear? Am I having this argument with my wife out of love or out of fear? Am I making business decisions out of love or fear? How do I see God? Do I see God like I better obey because I don't want to tick him off? Or do I see God as a good father who I love? And so, and here's the thing, fear-based decisions come out in a lot of, it doesn't always look like fear. It could look like rage. You know, when you're, let, you're, let me jump in for a quick second. So listeners, as Alan went through that checklist, whatever that was that popped in your head and you felt like, uh-oh, that one, that was a fear-based decision, a fear-based question, write that one down and do something about it. So Alan triggered something for me and I'm like, yeah, that's been on the to-do list to do something about that. And wow, my, I know what caused that. And it was a fear that I have, and I haven't addressed it fully. And it's so anyway, mm. FYI, listeners, write that down and do something with it because that just struck me. So sorry, sorry for interrupting, no, but that really was good, powerful. We can hear these questions and then not do anything with them. So do something with this, guys. Yeah, no, that's a you're, that's a tremendous point you just made. And and if if somebody listening. You know, it's easy to go, well, I don't live in fear. I, I don't, you know, I'm not shaking and trembling in a corner. Well, that's not what I mean by fear. Here's a better way to ask if you're living in fear. Because fear, when you is when you get down into it, it plays out in any number of ways. So do you live with rage? In other words, the things set you off easily and quickly, maybe traffic. You know, maybe nobody's around to hear the words you're saying or the, the you know, I, do you get red faced really quick if somebody challenges you? Do you get offended? Yes, the answer is yes, I do. Yeah. do and, and do you get offended <laughs> easily? Uh, do you, you know, are you good when everything's going your way? But if it's not, do you take offense if you have to wait an hour for a table at a restaurant, even though they told you it was going to be 10 minutes? Uh, if you're on hold on a customer service call, you know, or they like, or, or your kids or your spouse uh, feel like they dish you, you know, disrespect you with their words. Yeah, that's a tough one. So you start going, okay, all these things, fear can play out with rage, with offense, with, it can, it can also be that you check out, you know, and have that extra beer or two or three, because you want to numb yourself. And all of those things, when you start going into why, good question, you know, questions are good. Why? Why am I raging? Why am I offended? Why am I checked out? Why do I have to be the guy that always talks at a party and never shuts up and never listens to another person or ask how they're doing? I just have to talk about me, 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 me. Or why, when I go to a party, do I not say a word and kind of stand back and try to be invisible? You know, those are two opposite reactions at a party, and both can be fear-based. 
One can be fear that nobody likes me. Nobody cares. The other can be fear of, I don't want people to think I'm not doing well or that I'm not successful or that I'm not winsome. And so one guy ends up, you know, talking the whole time and one guy ends up in the corner, you know, by, by himself and both are fear-based love-based. What does that look like? Well, it looks like the life of Jesus. If you want to know what love-based living looks like, it's not timid. It's not shy. It's not abrasive. It's not abusive. It's not self-centered. It's other focused and it's living as a son with God. And so love-based isn't timid or isn't weak or isn't mamby-pamby, you know, like love-based is very strong. It's a confidence. Your identity is so rooted in God as a son of God that you're not looking to others to validate you or invalidate you. They don't have that power anymore. You're just as fine inviting people into your home. And this is this, I'm saying this is because this is, was my home. When we first moved here, money was so tight. The, the leather couch we had had worn out so much over the last decade that we brought here that, uh, and you couldn't take the cushions out. They were all sewn together. So it was a nice leather couch, but there was no way to fix the cushions as they were wearing out. So I started buying duct tape, brown duct tape that matched the leather to go over these little places where the couch was, the seats were wearing out. Well, more and more wore out. And pretty soon the whole couch was more duct tape than leather. And I, you know, uh, so the question was when I would invite friends over, would I be embarrassed by that and try to hide it or try to, you know, just, or would I just be full of shame or would I go into debt and buy some really expensive new couch that I couldn't afford and pay 25% interest on? Or would I walk with God and know when the time was right to replace a couch? And, and Kelly, my wife and I lived through a season where pretty much everything we owned had duct tape on it. It felt like because money was tight and, and now we have just as of about six months ago, a new couch. But but it, for about nine years, it was a duct tape couch. Wow. And and the and, and I say that to say, if I if we're living in fear, it's it's not it's not bad to want nicer things or things that are not in you know have duct tape on them. That's not bad. But the question is, do we do you live in fear of what others would would think, or do you feel better about yourself with nicer stuff? And, you know, and so that provoked a lot of good questions for us in that time. And yeah, the goal was eventually to get a new couch and eventually to, to, you know, whatever the other things were, but we knew we were here because God invited us here and we wanted to live well in a season of lack as well as a season of plenty. And, and so love-based living lets you do that fear-based living. You never want anyone to see the cracks or to see the struggles or to see anything other than perfection. And so that's fear-based and you'll spend a lot of money. You'll have credit card debt, or you'll, you know, uh, go on the vacation you can't afford, or your Facebook page makes it look like you're living the dream life when the reality is your life isn't a dream. Uh, It's going through some hard times. And so fear-based living causes you to do a lot of stupid things that, that ultimately don't work anyway. 
and it's this illusion of control and it's fear-based. So yeah, Dan, everything, I mean, that's a breakthrough. If the listeners never thought of it in this way, everything you do, if you go, what would the love-based decision be in this moment? What would, what would a love-based decision be when there's loss or when there's challenge or when there's disobedience or when there's, and, and love-based doesn't mean just, you know, if it's a, like a discipline issue with your child, it doesn't mean letting them off the hook. You know, I, I'm not saying love, love-based isn't tolerate whatever, but how do you discipline and love instead of in this fear of, oh my gosh, my kid, if, you know, if they did this today, they're going to do this tomorrow. And pretty soon you have this image of your kid, you know, living out on the streets at, at you know, at 18 when they're four years old and all they did was not pick up their cereal bowl, but fear, you know, you, you go to the next, 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 and go, now I've got to really go into this. And, and your reaction is over the top because it's a fear-based reaction of losing control of disobedience of whatever. And you go, actually, I could handle this in a way that would be far more effective if I went for their heart instead of their performance. And so it is a practice that will change your life. Go through a day, consider every decision you can, and just have a little L or an F on your journal that you carry with you, love or fear, and write tick marks every time you would go, that was a love-based decision. Awesome. That was a fear-based decision. No shame. No, you know, I, I, God doesn't love me less because I did that, but how can I keep going through each day with more ticks in the love than in the fear column? Because God is a God of love, not a God of fear. And God fathers from a place of love, not a place of fear. And if we're following God out of fear, we can't live as a son. We can't live as a son. You know, take the prodigal son story. The, the son that stayed and who didn't go off looked like the good son, but he was living a fear-based model of sonship. Like, I've done everything you've said. I've always been here. But there was no intimacy with the father. And, and we know that because as soon as the other son comes back, the son that stayed has envy and has bitterness and offense at how the father's doing what? Loving lavishly the son that came back. So if the son that had stayed had been living out of love, he would have resonated with the father and joined him, but he's living out of fear. And so he sees this love-based response that's not based on anything performance related. And he is offended. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, are we living in love or living in fear? And are we parenting? Are we, are we in a marriage that's a fear or love-based relationship? Are our financial decisions love or fear-based? Is our company that we're an employee at or an owner of, did, you know, when I was that boss that my boss called me on, you know, when he said, nobody likes working for you. I was a fear-based oh, leader at just that time. Gut punch when you when you hear like, ah. Oh. But I didn't I didn't really care about those. In fact, those people were expendable to me. That's why my first reaction was, I'll get rid of them all. Like, yeah. there was no love for you. Went people. nuclear with it. It nuclear. was let's just blow it up. Right. It was <laughs> it was basically I want you guys to get your act together and make me look good. And so if I'm working 14 hours a day, you work 14 hours a day. 
because anything less makes me look less good. And, and they were disposable at the time. You know. 16 people are wrong. One person's right. <laughs> right. 16 people don't get it. They're lazy. They, <laughs> uh, you know, just don't have what it takes. And I'll get 16. Surely there are 16 other people that, that want a job and want to work hard. And anyway, I, but it was a fear-based, I was a fear-based leader and I wasn't only leading in fear. I was living in fear. I was living in fear that my reputation as a make it happen guy would get, you know, dented or dinged if, if I didn't come through and I had to have this team come through for me to come through. So I was living in fear. And from that, I was leading in fear and, and, and it spilled over into my marriage at that time. Uh, thankfully we did not have, we had our firstborn was only about a year old. So when I started going through these changes, uh, it was in time mostly to not parent that way. Or when I did parent that way to catch it quickly, um, and be aware of it because we're always going to make mistakes and we're always going to, you know, I mean, we're not going to live a life of perfection, but we can live an examined life. And yes. living an examined life, you go, oh, I just responded out of fear. I need to make that right. Or I need to go to God and ask, what's what's going on in me that this prompts such a fear-based anger or frustration, or it makes me want to check out, or makes me feel diminished. So the, the right questions lead to the right answers. And yeah, when you when you start living that way, a lot gets exposed. And the question is, do you want to cover it up or do you want to have healing? And if you want healing, you can get to a point where you're, you are not living in a, in a chaotic state. Most of the time, my, my wife used to tell me before I wrote the book, one of the main things that made me want to write the book was my wife said, Alan, you're really good when things are really good. And, and when things get chaotic, you get really chaotic. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Talk about this. And well, it was a, I, at first I wanted to deny it, you know, because I, I mean, even after all that God has done for me and I've had so much healing and I'm, you know, I feel like I'm doing so much better in living an authentic life that's love-based most of the time. Um, when she said that, I knew it was true. And it irritated me, honestly, because I'm like, how am I still messing up here? I, and even if I feel chaotic inside, I don't want it to show, you know, I want the outside to look like in my fallenness. I, I want, I want to look good, even if I'm not good. And I don't want people to know I'm chaotic, even if I feel chaotic. And so it was exposing, um, exposed a lot in me. And what I realized is right. When I, what I was doing, Dan, was I was letting the external chaos get in and it was changing me. And what I go through in the book is we can actually, if we have the Holy Spirit in us and we are living in a place of peace and of love and of validation from the Father, then not only do we not let the external chaos in, but we change the external chaos from who we are. So it's the exact opposite. Yes. Instead of, you know, imagine chaos like a smoke vapor coming into you and making you more chaotic with that dark, murky smoke. Instead, 
you take the peace and joy and identity you have and let it come out and transform the chaos around you into beauty, life, and order. You make it less chaotic by who you are instead of letting the chaos make you more chaotic because of what it is. And the enemy's goal is always to make us more chaotic. And you look at the news, you look at our world and the divisiveness that's trying to be um, normalized of, you know, stir people up, rage, hate, anger, offense, um, bitterness, competitiveness. And you see the chaos that the enemy is trying to stir up through leaders, through um, businesses, through social interactions. And it's based on the most surface things. And he will try to take chaos and make us all more chaotic. And when we become that, we become agents of chaos. Uh, we end up spreading chaos like a virus. So we, we become more chaotic. We make others more chaotic. They make others more chaotic. Or we decide we're going to be based in love and we make things less chaotic. And we make our family less chaotic. We make our marriage less chaotic. We make you know, and it's all through God. It's not through our own strength. Like I give us an example in the book, Chaos Can't. Oh, I'll, tr- uh, I'll transition. I think I know where you're going. I think yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And I was hoping you were going to go there. So uh, in, in our community, uh, we've been doing a Bible devotional with uh, the armor of God. And Sean Douglas was on a few weeks ago, and he talked about how we have about 60,000 thoughts in a day. And then we recycle those thoughts. We pretty much have the exact same thoughts the next day and the next day and the next day. And what we need to do is interrupt those thoughts and change them. And like the Bible says, transform our mind. And with the helmet of God on, it'll help protect us from the outside world. And in that inside the helmet, it's our job to help transform our mind, transform our thoughts with God into better thoughts, better actions, better behaviors. And what we just talked about, learn to love, and come from love versus fear. And I love your analogy in the book that hit home so big. And I wanted to steal it as my own story because it's so good. I think you're going to talk about the truck and the car wash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's a true story, which makes it to me even better and more funny. And, but uh, I was, yeah, I was going through a car wash and recently and you know, the car, the truck's really dirty and I have a big truck. And, and, uh, so I'm going through the car wash and I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted clearly, and I forgot to roll up my windows. And so as I go through the car wash, you know, when, when the windows are up nowadays, modern car washes are like a star Wars laser light show. It's pretty cool. Like some even have a, a radio station you can tune to in the the lights and the wash, you know, the spray, it's all going to the music and, and blue lights and foam. And it's a cool, it's a cool thing to watch unless you have your windows down. And when all of that starts coming in and spraying on you, it's all of a sudden not so cool and not so fun. And I was getting blasted with water and, and the external chaos was coming in. And it was just this great kind of breakthrough, literal, take, take, a, take an idea, but now live it, which was the chaos 
of that car wash inside, you know, the, the tunnel where all the things are flashing and spraying. Uh, when you let it in, things get messy and bad really quick. And when you roll up the windows, it's, it's pretty easy to go through a car wash and stay very peaceful. And we have that ability in our life. We don't have to let the chaos in. It is a choice. And people that say, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm spun up. Yes, I'm, I'm irritated. I'm, I'm upset. Like who wouldn't be? Look at all the chaos going on in my world. Well, what they're missing is you have a choice. You can go through chaos and not let the chaos in. You can roll up your window, so to speak. Um, and yes, we're not denying the world is chaotic. What we're saying is you're not a, you're, God did not make you a reactive being. You are not simply this, this, you know, being that when things get crazy, you get crazy. When things are calm, you're calm. When things are good, you're good. When things are bad, you're bad. When a di medical diagnosis comes, it's not good. You're not good. You know, when you get a bonus, you are good. Like anybody can live that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm just saying, but like our dogs can live that way. You know, you give them a treat, they're happy. You put them in time out, they're not happy. Like, how do we live above our circumstances? Not, not pretending. I'm not saying go through life with this fake smile and pretending all is good. I'm saying you can acknowledge hard times, you can weep, you can cry, you can cry out to God, you can cry with others, you mourn the fallenness of this world, but you don't become more chaotic. And, and that's a choice. And you look at Jesus and I mean, he calmed the storm. He didn't become stormy inside. And people go, yeah, but it, with the money changers and in the temple, you know, he, he makes a whip and right. But what Jesus was doing in that scene was actually bringing calm to a chaotic situation. The situation was chaotic. People were being, uh, it didn't look chaotic on an external basis, maybe, but what was going on was deceptive, was toxic, was taking advantage of people. And Jesus comes to restore order to a place of disorder. And so Jesus never lost his temper and just went on a rage. He always was intentional and he always was bringing healing, beauty, life, order, calm, the end result, you know, like even in the temple scene, he didn't harm any of the doves. He didn't, he didn't stomp on the animal, you know, the, the, the birds, he didn't uh, start beating people in the face. Like he was bringing a situation back into order. And so we have that choice. When Jesus says, I've overcome the world, we have the choice to align with him and to believe that love is stronger than fear, that love actually, if there was a fist fight, if, you know, not, I'm not saying love would have a fist fight, but I'm saying if it comes to love and fear in a battle, love wins. Love is stronger. Love is bigger than any rage, offense, any, any chaos. And, and we see just briefly, I'll just name in the book, it goes into a lot more detail here, but how do we know this is true? How do we see this? Well, when I was starting to write the book, I was like, God, I wish you would have talked more about defeating chaos. And I sensed God smiling and chuckling and going, Alan, I did. Why don't you start with Genesis 1-1? One, one? 
It's not yes. hidden. It's not hidden somewhere in the Bible or scripture. You don't have to have your decoder ring on. Start in the first verse of the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis 1, 1 through 1, 3, three verses, we see God, we see in the beginning, God says, first, I'm a creator. Genesis 1, 2, the spirit goes into the chaos, the murky darkness, the inky blackness, the unknown. He goes into chaos. And Genesis 1, 3, what does he do? He doesn't shy away, get uh, disruptive. God doesn't get flustered. He doesn't go, oh, I'll come back later when things are calm. He goes into the chaos. And in Genesis 1, 3, he speaks, he uses his voice and he speaks light. In other words, he starts the days of creation and brings from the disorder of Genesis 1-2, order and hope and beauty and life. And he creates his best creativity happens. Oceans, mountains, all kind of animals, stallions, butterflies, hummingbirds, and ultimately man and woman. He creates in the chaos and he changes it, transforms it because of who he is and what he does. All of this is in the first three verses of the Bible. So if you want a blueprint, how do you transform the chaos around you? First, you don't let it in. God did not become more chaotic when he went into chaos. And then after not letting it in, he goes into the chaos and he brings light and speaks light. And this was not the sun. When he speaks light, he didn't create the sun then. The light is his light. The sun came on a, another, you know, in the days of creation was not the first that day. And so he speaks light, his light, and he starts to bring beauty, life, and order where there was chaos and nothingness. And we have that ability in our families, in our marriage, in our community, in our church, in our workplace, in our own heart. We can transform with God the chaos into beauty, life, and order through who we are, sons of God, daughters of God, and through what we do, our gifting, our creativity. You know, God, I love that the very first way he defines himself is his creator. In other words, he could have said, I am just the master. And so I'm going to subdue everything under me. He doesn't say that in Genesis 1.1. He says, I'm a creator. Now watch me create beauty, life, and order where there is none through who I am and what I do. And so the very things you're passionate about, Dan, I'm passionate about, the listener is, if, if that's a God-given passion, God-given creativity, and God infuses each of us with the breath of life, the creator gives us his DNA. We're all creative. When we pursue our creativity with God, that's when the chaos starts to tremble. That's when the chaos starts to give way. And that's when, you know, like we, we wish the world would be less chaotic. Well, good. We'll quit wishing it would be less chaotic and start stepping into your destiny, into your story with God and through who you are, who he made you to be, he, he made you to be not only who you are, but he had you be born at this time in history. We are all born into the, the time and season God wants us to be in. We weren't born in the 11th century. We weren't born at the time of Jesus on earth when he was with his disciples. We were born today. So you want the world to be a different place? Good. Get busy making it a different place. Not by striving not by being the the guy like I used to be, the 
I'll make it happen in my own strength. That was just adding chaos. Don't be that guy. Be the guy that enters into the world you're in with love and make it less chaotic because of who you are and because of your gifting. You do that. I do that. He does that. Another guy does that around the, the country and around the globe. Then we push the chaos back because we are bringing light and beauty and order where there was emptiness. And so that's the invitation. It can start, you know, where you are in your family, but it can ripple across into your community and into the country and into the world. If we choose to live love instead of live fear, then it starts to change things, you know, and, and the change has to start at our home. Like uh, if our, if our home life is a disaster and a chaos, you know, a place of chaos, it's hard to bring beauty and life to the rest, you know, I mean, we've seen pastors try to do that where they preach a good sermon, but their life is a disaster and ultimately it all implodes. It's not enough just to say good things, write things, even quote scripture. But if we don't have love, we're nothing but a noisy gong. So love starts where we are, starts in our home, starts where we live, and it transcends from there. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Jay Warner Wallace. I was talking to him the other day at Cold Case Christianity, and he said the same thing. He goes, sometimes we start with faith. And he goes, I think we actually need to start in the family first and get that, get that in a place of love. So then they can receive God's love also. He goes, so I'm going to shift my ministry towards that. And uh, I was shocked with all his fame and fortune, everything else that he's got. He's like, eh, that's a good spot to be, but we got to get over here and, and help this out first before we can really accept and know God's love. And that, so anyway, oh, so good. We didn't even talk about the crowdy kid. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be next time. Yes, yes, absolutely. So guys, hopefully we wet, we got your whistle wet so you can check out Chaos Can't. I love the book. There's some stuff in there about the crowdy kid that I loved. I was surprised, shocked to see it in there and it's great. And, uh, really helps reframe where you're at so that you can move forward and not let the chaos disrupt us and our families. And when we learn that we can share that with our families, our families will follow and they can have less chaos too. We can have more peace and joy. Even when our kids are all home, homeschooling and everything else, <laughs> we can have more peace and joy. And isn't that what we all want? Mm. Well, thank you, Alan. Appreciate you being on today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your book. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for learning how to be a son. And thanks for sharing your journey with us. Hey, Dan, thank you. I mean, you're, you are a living example of somebody who is using your God-given creativity and passion to now be doing this podcast and using your voice, like God spoke light in Genesis 1-3, you're speaking life and light through the podcast to people who hear your voice, who may never meet you, but you are changing the atmosphere for good around you. And uh, you're doing that through the passions and gifting God's given you. So if somebody says, what does that look like? They can look at you. That's what it looks like. Um, and that's not saying everybody should be podcasters, right? It's saying whatever your individual talent and passion is, if God's given that to you, he will see that through in some powerful ways there's an anointing to the gifts God's given you. So go and use those with God hmm. and follow him and start bringing life and beauty and light to the world around you. Like start at home and 
and you'll be amazed. That's the kind of story you want to live. And that's the story we're inviting you into today. Absolutely. So that uh, scripture verse to reinforce that. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That's a gift that we have. And as men, we can be strong and be the calm in the chaos. So we always end with a challenge. However, you already gave a beautiful challenge. I love it. Uh, do the checklist, all your decisions you made, did they come out of love or fear? Like that's a fantastic challenge. Do that, do that daily and see what comes out of it. Yeah. And carry your journal with you. You'll be surprised what those blank pages start to be filled with. There you go, guys. Do that. Do that this week. There's so many gems, so much wisdom, Alan. Uh, you know, hopefully we can have you back on again someday. I love it. What a great conversation. I love recording these conversations so that we can share these with other guys and they can then share them with other guys and we can just create a movement. So oh, God bless you, men. God bless you, Alan. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and I hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.